Well, good morning. It's so good to be here. I have to start by saying, don't mind the bandages all over the face. I had a little uh, skin cancer that was removed on Friday, and so I'm healing up. Everything is good. You think I look bad? You should see the other guy, right? But no, I apologize for the look, or maybe you think, Bill, that looks a lot better, so just keep that look. No, I'm so glad to be here. God's doing great things. And just like Jason was saying, God is truly on the move. You know, possibly the most well-known and oftentimes the most misused verses in the Bible is found in Matthew chapter 7, and that phrase is, do not judge. Right? We've, we've heard it, and some of us, we've used it. We've used it when somebody else has called us out for something we've done wrong, whether we want to admit it's wrong or not, we quickly throw back this verse, don't judge, right? But what does Jesus really mean by this verse? What is he saying? Because the Bible does instruct us to correct, to rebuke, and to encourage. You know, in fact, the Apostle Paul wrote to young Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.2. He said, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. You see, the Bible says that we are to be prepared in season and out of season. In other words, what he's saying is when the Bible and the God's word is popular and when it's not popular, we need, be, we need to be prepared to use the scriptures to correct, to rebuke, to guide, to encourage in fact, in the previous chapter, in chapter 3, Paul highlighted the why. Why do we have the ability to do that? And Paul says this to young Timothy in 2 Timothy 3. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You see, what Paul is saying here, it's all based upon the scriptures. The scriptures gives us the power, the, the power, the authority, and the guidance in order that we may walk this walk to correct, to rebuke, to guide, and to encourage. But it all gets back to the scriptures and how in tune are we with the scriptures. You see, when we're in tune with the scriptures, we have that ability. God gives us the ability. It's not by my power or my strength or my knowledge. It's based upon his knowledge, his understanding. And the scriptures equips us to put people back on track with Jesus. Because that's our ultimate goal and our role in that regard. But we have to be in tune with scriptures. You know, way back when I was younger, I used to play guitar. Yes, I used to play guitar. I stunk at it. But I could hit three chords sometimes. You know what frustrated me so often with playing guitar? Was tuning the guitar. I did not have the ear for it, and I hated it. In fact, I broke many strings trying to tune my guitar. I got frustrated over and over again because they taught me, okay, Bill, here's the, here's the frets where you have to tune the guitar, and here's the, here's the notes you're trying to hit, and you have to listen because it'll go wah, 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 like that, and it's almost like it's hitting against each other, right? You guys who are music people, you, you kind of know what I'm talking about if I'm making sense, Right? But you almost hear the waves of the sound just beating against each other. And you want to get it in tune, which is a wah. 
It's beautiful when it gets to that point. I could never get it to that point. I was constantly boom, 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 and banging my head against the wall and busting my strings every time. That's why I gave up. It's like guitars are so frustrating. But the same is true in our journey with Jesus. Our journey with Jesus is we need to walk a walk, pursue righteousness, just like what we've been talking about the past few weeks. Why? So that we can be in tune with the scriptures. Because when we are in tune with the scriptures, it gives us the ability to do what God's called us to do. We need to be Okay, Dale, I'm trying out for the praise team now. Psalm 119 tells us, to hide God's word in our heart. Why? So that we might not sin against him. In other words, we need to be hanging out with Jesus, spending time with Jesus on a regular basis. The more we do that, the more in tune we become. The less we do that, the more we're just banging our heads against the wall, not understanding scripture, and not understanding what does this mean in my life, or how do I deal with it in my journey with Jesus. Because we need to hide his word in our heart. That's why we talk about so often here at Impact, are we having our daily encounters? It's so important. Because if that's not a regular habit of your life, you're probably missing it. You're probably missing it at some level. You see, my friends, to be in tune with the scripture is to know God's word and to understand his heart. That's how we are in tune with the scripture. Remember, Jesus told us at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount that we are to be salt and light. We are to be the guide, the moon, that reflects God's light into this world to guide people towards him. And we are to be salt, the thing that preserves what is truth. And in order to be salt and light, we have to walk in that tension that we've talked about before, that very hard tension of walking between grace and truth. Grace and truth. And my friends, our daily encounters with Jesus equip us to be salt and light while we walk in that tension of grace and truth. Grace and truth. And it all starts with, are we in tune with the scripture? Are we having our daily encounters? Because when I have my daily encounters, when I am in tune with the scriptures, I'm not going to be perfect. I'm not trying to say that. But the more I know the scriptures, hide the scriptures in my heart, the more I understand God's heart, the more he gives me through the spirit the ability to walk in that tension of grace and truth, to do what he's called us to do, what we see in 2 Timothy, and that is to correct, to guide, to encourage. You see, this all gets back to the motives of what am I trying to achieve. So the Bible clearly says that we are called to walk this tension, to be in tune with the scriptures so that we can be light and salt in this world to guide, to correct, and to encourage. So circling back to this whole phrase, do not judge, what in the world is Jesus saying here? Because it just seems like he's contradicting himself. I don't think he is. And when you really understand the heart of what he's saying here, I think you'll get it too. Let's look at what Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 6. Jesus says, do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when 
all the time there's a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye and do not throw your pearls to the pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. You see, everything that we've been talking about and highlighting all through the Sermon on the Mount, even up to this point, that we cannot overlook, the thing that Jesus constantly gets at is that he is highlighting, it's all about the motives of our heart. He's more concerned about your heart than your actions because your heart drives your actions. Make sense? We get all focused on, well, look what he did, look what they're doing. No, God's more worried about, where's your heart? And it's the same here. It, are my motives to go towards the presence of God, to be in tune with the scriptures, to be right with him and help other people to walk that path to be right towards God? Or are my motives more self-focused, self-driven, all about me, which means I am willing to put other people down and fault find other people and knock them down just so I can make myself feel better, just so I can make myself feel better about my, me. You know, to judge is to condemn, to devalue, and to put other people down. And the Greek usage here, which when Jesus was speaking the original language, he highlighted something so important that I think we tend to overlook. See, when we see do not judge, we think it's just that one time you called me out, don't you dare judge me, and we quickly assume judge means you can't call me out. That's not what Jesus is saying here at all. You see, it's best understood as don't get into the habit of being judgmental. Don't get into the habit of being someone who's always looking for faults in somebody else. That's what Jesus is getting to here. This is not about you called me out because I did something wrong. No, your lifestyle is a consistent habit of fault finding and condemning and knocking people down. It's your heart, it's your heart. What we see here is a habitual lifestyle of being condescending and condemning. That's what Jesus is dealing with. It's become a part of who I am. When people see me, they think, oh, there's Bill. What's he going to find wrong with me today? How's he going to knock me down? See, Jesus is focusing on an attitude. He's focusing on an attitude and a lifestyle of condemnation. That's what he's dealing with. It's not a one-time calling you out. It's an attitude issue. It's a judgmental spirit, which Jesus is saying you must avoid. This can't be your life. This can't be the habit of who you are. And then Jesus goes in the story of intentionally exaggerating the difference between the absurdity of a sawdust in one person's eye and the plank in the other person's eye. In other words, he's highlighting how what we tend to do when we make judging others and condescending a part of who we are, the habit of our lives, we get so focused on, look at you. Look how bad you're living. Look what's happening in your life. You're an awful person. All we do is fault find and beat down, fault find and beat down. And all we do in that is overlook the reality of, hey, look at me. Because it goes back to that comparison game, doesn't it? We kind of downplay our own sins, downplay our, downplay our own struggles. Why? Because we make ourselves believe, well, I'm not as bad as that guy. I'm not doing that. So then I must be okay. And it's almost like we beat them down to build myself up. 
And Jesus is saying, no, you can't do that. You know, in so doing, as he highlights this, he also reveals, yes, we do have a part in correcting rebuking. He does not dismiss our role in identifying, you know what, there is a sawdust in your eye. There is something in your eye. We do need to be mindful and in tune with the scriptures. He's highlighting that. We need to be receptive to what's going on in other people's life and to be willing to guide them towards the heart of God. But what Jesus is condemning here is the habit of being so preoccupied with fault finding in others while you refuse to be honest with your own self. That's what Jesus is dealing with. And even beyond that, in Isaiah, it says that God is our judge. I don't know about you, but I don't want to play judge. I don't want to be the judge. Because just like Jesus said, hey, if you want to play that game, you'll be judged in the same way. Yeah, I don't want to go down that path. (laughs) See, this is about understanding your role. What is my role? God's role is the judge. He's the one who ultimately gives people value in their life. And he's ultimately the one who says, your heart is right or your heart, I don't know you. That's God's role. My role, our role, of what we see all throughout Scripture as I follow Jesus is the guide to reflect his light and to preserve what is truth. That's our role. We're guides. We're just moons reflecting his light into this world. We're to be so in tune with Scripture that we are the ones who strive to preserve what is truth in a world that constantly tries to deteriorate it. And Jesus again uses that word hypocrite that we talked about A week ago. Hypocrite, as he's identifying it, is someone who constantly beats other people down, uses God and his scripture and his truth to beat other people down so they can say, hey, look how good I am. I'm a holy person. He dealt with that all the time. And you know what? In some ways, we're no different. We try to say, well, I am good. I am right. While we beat other people down. You see, my friends, when we live lifestyles of condemnation, we miss the opportunity to participate in God's redemptive story. That's what it's all about. Ever since Adam and Eve brought sin into the world by eating that fruit, sin entered the world, and we've been constantly on this journey of trying to figure out who I am, and God's been chasing us, saying, you are, who I, who, you are who I say you are. I'm trying to tell you that. I'm trying to show you that. I want you to be a part of my redemptive story. But in too many times, I feel because we constantly beat other people down, rather than understanding my role is to guide people towards the heart of God, we stand in God's way from being a redemptive story in people's lives. Man, we can't do that. And I fear that in many ways, we have blindly developed the habit of condemnation. We've become so politicized and hostile, knocking everyone down who disagrees with us. In some ways, I think we've gotten out of tune. I think we've gotten out of tune. We may know the scriptures, but in some ways, have we lost the sight of the heart of God? God's heart to guide them towards Him so that they can experience a redemption story. You know, we neglect to see how Jesus walked in the tension of grace and truth, how He interacted with others, even those. They completely disagreed with him. 
I'm going to invite you up to the stage a friend of mine named Tommy. Tommy has a powerful story of God working his life. He has an amazing story of what God's redemption looks like. You know, and I'm going to invite here Tommy in just a moment to share his story in his own words of what God has been doing. But I want to tell you something. We all have the opportunity to experience and be a part of God's redemptive story. We can't miss it. God desires to give you redemption. And guess what? God desires to use you to bring redemption in other people's lives as well. Let's hear Tommy's story. Good morning, everybody. My name is Tommy Scales. I'm excited to be here with you today. Can we just give it up for Pastor Bill? I call him Kill Bill. That's my guy. It's my man. Um, he's excellent. So before I get started, I have a request. I ask that you be brave with me as I am brave and share my story. Um, but before I tell you a little bit about me, I first need to honor my father and mother. I am the son of Stephanie Haley and the son of Tommy Scales Sr. My mother is um, very complex, and I love her. Both are true. She is a survivor of an emotionally absent dad, a survivor of domestic abuse, and a survivor of being divorced four times. My dad, Tommy Scales Sr., um, is a very hurt man. He, and I love him, both are true. He is a survivor of physical and verbal abuse from his mother, a survivor of leaving home when he was 12, and a survivor of being divorced three times. And so God seen it fit that these two um, bring me into this world. I have a picture for you. So this is me. Uh, he's so little. Um, that's little Tommy. And my counselor wanted me to make sure that um, I honor him um, because that's a brave little boy. I am from Cleveland, Ohio, born and raised, and I'm from the part of Cleveland that doesn't have sunshine that much, accompanied with um, crime, poverty, and pain. My parents actually ended up getting a divorce when um, I was around two or three, and um, my parents had been in the church, they know who God is, and I actually was uh, sent to my mother's house to live with her when I was around five-ish. Uh, so my mother was super excited to send me to a Christian church uh, as in kindergarten. I was super excited. My mom will tell you to this day, I had my little book bag, book bag on, I was ready to go. Um, and unfortunately, when I was five is when I got my first taste of what darkness can be in this world. There was a guy there um, that was a counselor that was bigger than me, and he was stronger than me, and he did some highly inappropriate things to me. I was five. Fast forward, um, I actually move in with my dad when I was seven. My mom loses custody um, because of some of the lies that my dad told, but that's a different story for a different time. And from seven to 18, I live with my dad. And as I look back now, I notice that um, what my grandmother did to my dad in abuse, my dad did to me. And so during this time, um, I'm sneaking out, I'm trying to go to teammates' house, friends' house, just to have a place of safety. And um, I'm really just trying to find a way out of pain. 
So my senior year of high school, I actually was a homecoming king. Now, my friends will tell you, I'm the life of the party now. I, will, I have to be the one to let you know. Um, and so after winning homecoming king, my friends were like, listen, this is the last time out. We about to turn up. And so I tell them no and actually tell them I feel this call in my life and knowing that God is the only way out. When I was a kid, I would sneak outside, look at the stars, and know that there is a God. There has to be a God who can see me and save me from such darkness. So that night, I actually uh, went to go play basketball and worked out on homecoming night and read my Bible. That was it. And so when I went to college, I was blessed to have a full scholarship to play basketball. First in my family, first scholarship, first college student, first basketball athlete, all the things. And I really started to cultivate this faith that I owned because I knew who God was. What I was really making it through, I knew I wasn't doing that by myself. Fast forward to my junior year. Um, I just finished my junior year, and that summer, I get a call from my dad, and he tells me, like, hey, just to let you know, I live in North Carolina now. So in my mind, I'm like, okay, so what does that mean for me? Where do I go? Where's my stuff? And the only thing he could say was, you know, a lot of things are happening is real crazy. Long story short, I found out from his ex-girlfriend that he was running from some drug dealers. So love that for me. Um, so I finish, I'm about to finish my senior year. My mother, she comes to all the games she can to support me. And after the game, she tells me, hey, just to let you know, I'm moving to Arizona. Great, super excited about that. Don't know where I'm gonna lay my head. Never thought about that. Long story short, I found out she actually got evicted from her home and didn't want to tell anybody. So, graduated from um, college and actually had an opportunity to play in Germany, China, and Spain and play basketball. Ended up actually turning it, turning it down to really pursue education. And so, I got a scholarship to go to IUP to get my grad school, to, to go to grad school to get my grad degree. And as I look back now, I noticed that that year at IUP where I went was probably the darkest year of my life. There's something about not having a home or a place to go for the holidays, or a car, or food, or emotional support that can make life really dark. I really started to devour scripture. Um, me and Job, I feel like, really became best friends because I feel like I have, at this point, I have lost everything. It's been taken from me, in front of me. And so I really just try to hold on to God as much as I can. So in this chapter, there's an organization called Coalition for Christian Outreach. I used to work there for three years. And as I was at IUP, this man named Evan Gorley, super cool, and his team see me really interact with the fellowship that we had and came to me and said, hey, we think you have great gifts and talents. We want you to actually join us in ministry next year in Memphis. So in my mind, I'm thinking like, listen, I know this program has housing. At least I don't have to sleep outside. I'll take it, whatever I got to do. End up taking it. And what Evan knew is that when I graduated from my grad year to start the fellowship program at CCO, um, is like three months. I don't have anywhere to go. <laughs> Where am I going to put myself? Don't have it. Evan knew that. And he said, hey, you get to stay with my wife's parents. Um, she, uh, they're called the Weavers. They actually live um, in Pittsburgh. So I was like, cool, don't know them, but I'm not sleeping outside, so I'll take it. Stay with them that summer. Exciting. I love them. They took care of me. And so I had to ask them two vulnerable questions. The first question was, I said, hey, I noticed that my license is, is about to expire. I don't know if you had your license on expire, but you need an address to put it on. I don't have one. And they graciously said, yes, you can use ours. The next question was like, hey, I'm about to leave you go to Memphis, y'all know that. 
is there any way that I can just come back for the holidays? I really just don't want to think about dreading Christmas that I'll be alone or have nowhere to go. I just really don't want to do that. They graciously said yes. So go to Memphis, do ministry. I come back for the holidays. It was great, epic, love it. Love, fell in love with Pittsburgh a little bit. Don't tell my friends in Cleveland from that. Um, and so holidays were great, and I really asked them a, a last vulnerable question. I asked them, can I just be a part of your family? And then they say, yeah, so we want to talk to you about that. So in my mind, I'm thinking like, I really need to figure out who do I know in Memphis? I just lost something, maybe they're mad at me, maybe I'm sleeping in my car, don't know. They actually said, we talked to some of our lawyer friends and we found out that we can legally adopt you. So in my mind, <laughs> I'm thinking like, okay, at this point I'm 23, 24. Can you do that? I'm overwhelmed. What am I, my biological mom gonna think? I don't know what's happening. So they was like, think about it, take your time. I go back and do ministry, and I'm at home where I was doing ministry at, and like cleaning stuff I've never cleaned before and unpacking, unpacking boxes. And I found this old iPhone that I have. And the way that I pray, and I still do it now, is that um, I set a reminder each day on my phone to pray about something specific. I even do it now to this day. I have two friends named Rachel and Krista where we're praying for our spouses. Pray for us too, because it's crazy out here. So. I turned on this iPhone that I had when I was at IUP and I started to click the reminders. It said I had 20 billion missed reminders. Click it and it says, pray for a family. So in my mind, I was like, okay, let me find my journal. Like what context is this? What was I praying for? And I noticed inside the notes that I was praying for a wife and kids. So I'm holding this, this, this journal and this phone that say pray for a family and now I'm faced with a decision to be adopted. I said, well, God, you, but then I prayed, but here we are. And so let me show you a picture of redemption, of redemption of someone who was adopted by a family four years ago. So this is my family. On the two right um, are, they married two of my sisters. In the dead middle are my parents. And I am one of siblings, siblings my adopted mom and dad. Um, they had three biological kids on their own. They also adopted two kids from Sierra Leone and one kid from St. Vincent. Her name is Sarah, she's my favorite. I said what I said. And they also adopted a young kid um, named Tommy. So you may be sitting in a crowd and thinking like, or online thinking like, okay, Tommy, that's a crazy story. You took us up and down, there's a lot going on. Or you may be thinking, okay, but Tommy, what does that have to do with, you, with me? I don't know who you are tonight. I don't know what happened to you at five or 15, or 45, I don't know. I don't know what you need God to redeem. I don't know when or how he will do that. I don't know. But one thing I do know is that we serve a God who sees, a God um, who knows what happens to you, a God who redeems. One of the biggest things I've learned this year, um, and as I process my trauma for the past few years, is that even when my friends don't show up for me, or they aren't mutual, or even though I try to be, or my biological family um, abandons me, is that I am loved by God. And that is enough. Thank you. Tommy, thank you so much for your vulnerability and willingness to share your story with all of us. And how true is that? 
whatever your journey is, wherever you're at in your life, I think it's so easy for us to hear the voices that are around us and sometimes the voices that are in our own, that are in our own head, I'm not good enough. I don't add up. Whatever it might be. But I want to tell you something. You are valuable. You are loved. You are good enough. You know why? Because you are created by the creator of everything that is. You are a design of the master designer himself. You are a child of God. My friends, God's story is a redemptive story. Why does he talk about do not judge? Because he doesn't want us to get into the habit of, of beating each other's down. He wants us to realize our role, your role and my role, is to experience his redemptive story in our life and then also be a part of guiding and walking with other people to experience his redemptive story in their life. That's his heart. That's his heart. And he wants you to share in his heart. My friends, where are you at? Where are you at? God wants you to know you're valued and you're loved. I don't know what's been going on in your life. I don't know if it's been a good week or a week where you get beat up. But God's writing his story. And here's the most amazing thing. God wants to write your story. He wants to write your story. For me as a control freak, I try so often to write my own story because I like to have my life in control. I like to say, well, I can do this. And all I learned over and over again is, Bill, you can't. Stop trying. You can't. But when I just took a step back and said, God, you write my story. It's amazing to see what he does. I think the most powerful thing I hear in Tommy's story is as he prayed for family and what he believed that meant. When in reality, God was saying, Tommy, I'm writing your story. And I've got a family for you. That's a part of my family. Will you just allow God to write your story? And will you allow yourself to be in tune with the scriptures? Why? So that you can be salt and light in other people's lives. To guide them towards him. Maybe you're here today and you're just thinking, Bill... I've been trying to write my story. I've been trying to live my life my way. And today's the day that maybe you need to say, I need to let go of the control. I need to let go of the control. I need to stop trying to write my story and let the God, the creator of everything is, write my story. And just watch what he does. Maybe you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus and you don't even know what this redemptive story is all about. Maybe today's the day that you need to take that step and just say, God, I trust you. I trust you enough to write my story. And I no longer want to be a person who tries to identify myself based upon what other people say or the voices I have in my own head because I got some crazy voices. I want to see who I am in you. 
And that's what baptism is all about. Baptism is that place where God says, hey, guys, I've been chasing you for centuries upon centuries. Why? So you can find who you are in me. So that I can write your story. And when Jesus died on that cross, he gave the opportunity for us to be able to be in complete presence with him. That he can write our story once again. Where he says, no longer are you who the world says you are. No longer are you who the voices in your head say you are. You are who I say you are. You're my child and you, are, you find your identity through my death my burial, and my resurrection. Die to your old self and come follow me. He says, and do this. Experience my redemptive story in your life and through your life. You know the thing I love about Tommy that he didn't share? I gotten to know Tommy over the past several months and Tommy is not just walking the redemptive story in his life. He works at a local establishment corporation. And he makes it his effort every year, every month, every week, that he starts to do devos, he prays for his, his co-workers, and he does devotions with them, and he mentors them to follow Jesus. In a secular corporation, why? Because he believes, God, I experience your redemptive story, and I want to be a light in other people's journey too. Isn't that amazing? And God wants to do that through you too. Will you allow him to do that? If you're here today and you're like, Bill, I, don't, I may not understand it all, but I want to be a part of his story. I want to give my control to him. I want to experience him in my life. I want to be who he says I am. I want to take this step and be baptized and, and just experience all of him in my life. If that's you, as we conclude this service, Tony's back there. We already have a, several baptisms already scheduled today. You can join in the party. Maybe you've been holding on for a while, but maybe now's the day to say, God, I'm giving it to you. I want to follow you completely. If that's you, why don't you come meet Tony and I at the back of the auditorium right over here. If you're online, you want to take that step, reach out to the host, and we'd love to connect with you and help you in those next steps. But stop trying to control it and give God the control and watch what he wants to do in your life. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you because you are good. Lord, your <clears throat> redemption, redemptive story is just so powerful. Lord, forgive me, forgive us for times when we try to control it, when we try to create the world around us the way we want it to be, and in so doing, we fault find and knock people down, and we become um, people who've created the habit of just con condescending and condemning and, and knocking people down to make ourselves feel better about who we are. But Lord God, may we just give that to you. May we experience your redemptive story in our life. And Lord God, may we live out your redemptive story with every person we come into contact with. And Lord, I pray for those here right now that may be feeling the urge to take that step, 
whatever may be holding them back, Father, I pray that right now today that they may take that step and just give you all the reins of their life. And may they experience your redemptive story. It's in your name we pray. Amen.